The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners. This has been a series that I know that many of you have labored to uh, stay with us because it has been such a long series. The Identity Series is now up to 140 messages. And so we know that's a lot, but we also can assure you there's a goal in mind here that each of these audio messages do go with a book, textbook that we are putting together that has the uh, 77 Identity Truths. Uh, That textbook is going to house a copy of every uh, book and publication we have put together for the past 7 to 10 years. We want to thank you for your faithfulness to staying with our podcast. Today we are on number 68 of Finances, Identity and Finances. And we are going to be discussing the Ten Signs of Reproof. So as we walk through that, let's keep uh, this scripture in mind. If someone would please read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Then you have blocked for dealing with matters of this life. Do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud in that your brethren. You can't take an innocent party, for example, who's trying to multiply the Word of God, whether it's in a video or a song or whatever. We, we tend to capture ownership, place legal rights on that, and it seals it up and it can't get advanced. And, and so it does even affect us discussing the advancement of the gospel of the little ways that we're trying to reach out from this little fellowship. That's what's being said here, is the natural laws of man do not match and cannot resolve the disputes of a righteous man. They can't. you got to understand that's what persecution is. Persecution is facing a Christian with denying something that the Religion or the government, in some cases, they have no rights to put that upon a Christian, right? There are people losing their heads, losing their lives, losing their children, as we speak, because they refuse to submit to laws of the land that are absolutely wrong. Then there are certain laws of the land we are supposed to respect. And honor. But when it comes to asking them to obey them over God, which is a technique that Satan uses, there's a new decision that has to be made. 
I mean, you just shared a story this morning about someone stealing your identity, your social security numbers, and trying to use your large family to get benefits themselves or blah, 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 get that tax return. And when, when you talk about disputes and what you're going to do with that, do you, do you take this abuse or do you fight back with the world's courts? I just don't know very many Christians that are willing to answer that the way God would. I don't. I'm sorry. How many Christians, into all Christians, do you know that would say, sue me? Take my rights. I, I don't know very many. And that's why up front, if I'm in that situation, I will say, sue me. Take whatever it is I have, which is not much anyway, but do what you must do because there's nothing you can do to me that is not appointed for you to do by God. And that's what Christ said to these government leaders who were saying to him, don't you realize what we could do to you? That's this government court saying, don't you realize the power that we have in persecuting you and distressing you? And Jesus' response was, there is nothing you can do to me that my Father has allotted you to do. That's sovereignty. And that is a real tough thing for us Christians to embrace, to put our arms around, is the sovereignty of God's correction. Did Jesus need to be corrected by his Father? No. Jesus needed to receive the correction from the Father on our behalf. He had to suffer the correction that you and I deserved. And that's why when we look at the horrid things that happened to Jesus, that it's okay. Because every form of suffering that there is to suffer in this world today, he had to suffer it. Every form. Having meat ripped out of your back, having sweat come out of your forehead because you don't have any more sweat remaining in your, your mortal body. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. From, from nasty things that were said about him to the meat being ripped out of his back. But there was one thing he did not experience for some crazy reason. Not one bone in his body was broken. Do you understand what a miracle that is? Not one bone in his body was broken. Whereas us, we do get broken. Not just our bones. But we do suffer brokenness. So it is him still living it out. And as you do these things unto, unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto him. So he is continuing to suffer those things with you. Let's see our, uh, read our opening paragraph for today. Being reproved by God is not a pleasant thing to be forced to embrace. In Job 37, we learn that whether for the sake of, the, of correction, for God to 
prove he is our God or for the divine purpose of love, it is he who causes it to happen. Knowing this, our eyes will hopefully look to truth. Since God is the one who chooses to reprove us in ways or in his way and his timing, we need to allow these circumstances to weaken us instead of taking on these afflictions like they are some kind of challenge. If we don't fall to our knees in weakness and brokenness, our hearts will turn harder. Why? Because we have refused to repent and allow God to change our ways. And I know there's a lot packed in this little paragraph, but the three dynamics in here is one, that God's the one that causes pain and suffering. With that, we need to understand who does he use to cause the pain and suffering. It's the enemy, since no evil comes from God. So he uses the enemy like he's a pawn. The second thing that we need to look at is that these pains and and sufferings are to be driving us to the point of looking at truth. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Therefore, when we are being driven to truth to set us free, we're being driven to the life of Christ. So the question remains in many of the minds is where is that life of Christ today? Is he around me? Do you understand that when the rapture occurs, something rather spiritual is going to happen to the world? You can have a marriage and have a spouse in that marriage who is an indwelt believer. And every room that that indwelt believer walks into, the presence of God fills that room. I'm telling you how the presence of God works. And so the enemy knows this, and that's why he's trying to take us and have us hide our light under a bushel. Because he understands that that light and life of Jesus Christ is so overwhelmingly wanting the center of attention of every room, every relationship, every community, every nation, that he will do whatever he can to get that person to put it under a bushel. Now here we have a spouse living with this indwell believer who is dead as a doornail. They're going to hell. They can't go past go or collect their eternal reward. And, and even some children in the household that are going to hell in their present state. There is no presence of God in them. Now here's the craziness of this. Is that there are spouses, for example, that are living with an indwell believer and they're living off of the presence that's radiating from their life. And they think they're Christian. They think they're indwell because the presence of the living God is coming forth from an indwell believer 24 hours a day, whether you're sleeping next to them or walking next to them. And the people standing with them think they're saved because they're enjoying the benefits of an indwell life inside that home. And they're going to hell when that person's presence 
is removed from them. You need to understand this. This is what rapture is. When Jesus comes to capture his bride, he will call his bride forward in every single indwelt Christian in the entire world will leave the earth the exact same time. Everyone. Stay with me. If I could do a, a, a miniature video on this, I would. I just haven't figured out how to do it yet. But as soon as those tennis shoes do not touch this cursed earth, I hope you're with me on this, as soon as those tennis shoes leave the earth, that is cursed, that will be burned in the pit of hell for eternity. As soon as those tennis shoes leave the earth, detach from the earth, there will be an absolute darkness that will spread through the earth so quickly because God is removing his presence from the face of the earth. And it will only take less than three and a half years for the whole entire world to go so dark that we will see persecution and distress like never, ever before. Because there's no presence of God in the bride of Christ. There's no bride of Christ on the earth. That's what's going to happen. And those spouses that are walking into the kitchen to expect uh, the spouse to have their coffee ready in the morning or breakfast and they're not there... The despair that that unbeliever who thought they were a believer because they were living off the juice of the Holy Spirit and their spouse will suffer loneliness like they have never experienced before. Most people go to church to hang out with other true indwelt believers because it feels comforting to be next to them. But they're not saved. So when the rapture truly occurs, there will be loneliness and despair in the world that there is no human that could describe it. But you know what? I understand that the majority of the people that just heard this little scenario that I put out there are going to ignore me. They're going to continue to live off the, the glow, the aftermath, the overflow of indwell believers that are in their life. They're going to say, this does not affect me because I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Satan himself is a believer in Jesus Christ. But you're still going to hell. Demons believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, demons believe in the power of Jesus Christ a lot more than most Christians do. And what they're doing is they're lullabying, they're sleeping themselves right into the pit of hell because Satan is oppressing them with this disconnect to the fact that the true indwelling life of Jesus Christ is not in them. I just revealed to you the greatest deception on the face of the earth. So when it comes to God correcting the earth... I personally believe most people are going to look at it as a challenge. If you first do not succeed, try, try again. 
If you first do not succeed, try, try again. And they do that until they have no more resources to prove to themselves they are somebody and they can't fix this, fix it. God's got fixed on them to get them fixed from fixing themselves. God is very interested in having you understand there's only one who can fix these things, and that is the inward life of Jesus Christ. Anyone who attempts to fix the fix that God's got fixed on him to stop him from trying to fix these challenges are going to hell. And if it doesn't bother you, that 90% of the people you're going to see this week are going to go to hell forever and have flames burning on them and they just won't turn to charcoal? To have gnashing of teeth literally biting on them forever and ever and ever? And yet these, these demonic forces can't get even a mouthful of flesh out of you? To know that your entire world is going to be tossed into outer darkness. You'll never see a beam of light outside of the flames that are torturing you 24 hours a day for eternity. Someone please make a movie about that. No, because it's depressing. It's too real. So my commission to listeners this week is before we even go in and look at the consequences that man's going to put upon these nations, we need to understand the, the simple facts and truths that are you or are you not indwelt by the life of Christ? Don't use the poppycock anymore that you believe in Jesus Christ and absolutely everything he says. There are theologians who could, who could dice up the Bible backwards and forwards in Hebrew, Greek, and probably two, three other languages, and they're going to hell. Unless they have the inward dwelling life of Jesus Christ. This not I, but Christ thing is not going to work for you unless there's a great exchange. It won't. It's impossible. Christ is not a liar. He said, the only way to my Father is by me. Christ is saying this. No man can come unto my Father except through this one narrow gate. And that narrow gate is the life of Jesus Christ. You don't step through that gate, you're going to hell. And I pray, I hope my listeners are listening. Because you will go to hell, you will suffer those three primary consequences, and you will suffer them forever and ever and ever and ever. The days and moments of loneliness and despair that we experience is a reminder to us of what we've been delivered from as indwell believers. So it keeps the passion alive to reach those who potentially will suffer that forever. Not for a few days. So this indwelling life of Christ, principle, truth, truth is beyond the ideas of truth. It is life. So if we cannot embrace, then we are deceived. 
Ten of the most obvious signs. If we don't fall to our knees in weakness and brokenness, our hearts will turn harder than a heart attack. Is there truly a medical condition of the heart turning hard? And they call it? Well, I've heard two cardiologists with my own ears say it's called a stone heart. It's a true condition where the heart will turn as hard as stone. So when the word talks about a hard heart, it's probably literal in many cases. And the condition that leads up to a hard heart probably in the spiritual realm can be paralleled in the, in the same fashion. If you are suffering and, and, you, and you cannot be stopped for a moment and God shows you the tenderness that's on the inside of your heart to worship and loving Christ and Christ being in If he is unable to stop you and enjoy that for a moment in your deepest, darkest despair, you're not saved. I'll, I'll say it again. If you cannot be stopped by Jesus Christ for a moment to have you look internally and have that life breathing in there talking to you and that still small voice speaking life and truth, even though you're in this deep, dark, despairing moment, you're not saved. The proof of salvation is the inward light of eternity. Even in your darkest hour. That's what's in the songs, isn't it? It's what's in our poems. It's what's in the scriptures. It's in what David says. It goes on and on. But do we believe that? Well, you can't believe it if there's no inward life of Christ. You see, demons believe what I just said, but they can't embrace it. They shudder. Push it away. Fight against it. So those who are getting resistance because you're living and walking in the indwelling life of Christ, it is a good sign. Here's number one of our ten signs of reproof. Being in situations where we think we have to borrow money in order to survive. That literally came out in our share time. So I think about, okay, I've got estimated between dollars and $200,000 if they start suggesting some stuff I think they're going to suggest. So I have a decision on my hands. Do I go into debt, borrow, in order to survive? I say no. And yes, my family's having a problem with that. Well, here's why. God knows that we are not to turn to the turn those away who come to us to borrow, but in the same breath, he tells us not to borrow. Well, what's up with that? So God knows that the average person coming and asking, could I please borrow whatever amount of money? He already knows that they're ignorant to why you shouldn't ask for money. Right? 
So God's not a God of harsh judgment. So therefore, if we are the indwell believer, they're coming to us and we do have the funds to, to be able to meet their requests, we're supposed to give it to them. Whereas what most people do, and I get, I've received requests of this, should I give my son some money? He can't pay his rent. Blah, blah, blah. He's coming and asking for money. Because I think if I give him the money, I'm reinforcing his disbelief or his irresponsibility or his rebellion. Why do you think that God, Christ, used the story of the prodigal son? Gave him all his money at one time and said goodbye. Basically, don't come back until the opening statement you're on your knees, broken in repentance. Because money and brokenness always go together. Always, always, always. So the system is needed for God to actually bring that person to repentance and to have relationship with his father versus gimme, gimme, gimme. So the gimme gimmies are not completely getting the wise is what's happening. He knows they will come to us for help by way of short-term debts. It does not mean that God places approval on short or long-term debts. He does not want us to turn away from the people who think that they need to borrow in order to survive. When we are the poverty-stricken ones in need with the big boat in the garage, we're really put in a position that we have to make decisions on the boats and the cars and the truck. And the, that's where God wants us to go. So when you're advising someone to get out of debt, you always encourage them to sell off things Instead of borrowing from one credit card to pay off another credit card because the credit card you just got is promising zero interest for one year. And so, oh, I've got a year to get rid of that. And that is how the average person thinks. When in reality, God's saying, what do you have already as a result of debt? Get rid of it. That's working hard to bring it down to ground zero. This is a spiritual principle that God is asking us to be freed, as Michael was singing to us this morning, freed from being enslaved. And the part of that freedom that is granted to us in the spiritual realm is that Christ paid that debt. Correct? So now we bring that into this principle and you understand why we're not to turn someone away who's coming to us to borrow. But there's wisdom in that because if they've got a boat and a truck and a car and a this and a that and whatever, there is wisdom that must enter into, yes, I will help you, but you need to help me with this process by doing the following things. Because most people go back into debt once they are freed from debt because no one takes them through this, this process. Number two sign is overdue bills. 
There are two types of overdue bills. The first is the most innocent, and it's those who have bills due that are not a result of debt spending like rent, utilities, etc. The second kind of overdue bills is a result of debt mentality. With those kinds of overdue bills, God is not quick to send a miraculous provider to bail us out. He can, but he usually allows the debt to become our tutor to quicken our hearts to detest additional debt. But that's not what you hear coming out of the prayer mouths of these people. I've been these people. Where I am asking God to bail me on my own irresponsibility. You say, well, that's what grace is for. God gets his wallet out and, and, and pays the bill. Sometimes he might. But I can guarantee you with every act of grace is an act of responsibility. And he is going to encourage us to look at that responsibility like, okay, let's get rid of that boat that you're still paying debt onto. Let's get rid of, you know, and that's the encouragement that comes even from God. Number three, that grandiose thinking. It is so easy for Christians, indwelt Christians, to be walking the car lot and this beautiful car stands out to them or truck or SUV or whatever the case may be and their mind starts working all of the ways that they can make that payment. See, I don't have any debt right now. Um, you know, I could uh, trade in uh, these two vehicles and then I can... And, and, and they start working... Real numbers. And it's, and it's giving the appearance they're being extremely responsible. They're forgetting one simple principle. Do not go into debt. Not to any man. There's the one principle glaring at them, but the calculations is what becomes the focus. And pretty soon, they're in there signing a contract. And if they carried the real numbers forward... And don't double up on their payments like most of us think that we're going to do. It takes the full years to pay off that loan. And you're paying five times the amount of a brand new vehicle five years later if you paid cash. That's how it works. Been there, done that. Tempted to do it again. But the facts are... If we take the time to look at the way things truly do work in the spiritual world, we'll figure Satan's little ploys out. He can only enslave those who are in debt. That's all you got to remember. He can only enslave people who are in debt. If you're unsaved, you're in debt. You have a debt that has to be paid. And Christ is the only one that's going to pay it for you. And if you don't let Christ become your indwelling life, you're going to hell. You'll pay for your own debt. That's the facts. All these things we're covering in the financial principles are to teach us spiritual truths of going to hell or not going to hell. Someone paid my debt or I have to pay my own debt. That's all that's trying to be shown to you. Keep in mind that money was not even a part of civilization for the, the first half of the Old Testament. 
Money is is something the enemy has conjured up to to create a debt mentality. Don't putting the the cart before the horse is a financial term that was used back in early Hebrew. And the whole idea of of carrying a load was how you paid your debt before there was money. It was all done in exchange of services which is where Christians will end up, anyone who's studied the end times, will know that there's come, there will come a day when indwelt Christians cannot do what? Buy, sell, or trade. We will be back to the original system of no money. But if you're in debt, Satan's going to make you carry his, the, the crap in his cart. You'll be a slave to pay off that debt. Go ahead, reject this, what you're hearing today, because reality and truth is going to show you. I oftentimes sit back and I think about prophet types that have projected what what, um, the Muslims were going to do to the Christians. And it's happening today. I didn't even expect it. I had it down on a piece of paper. It was going to be 2025, but I don't know the date, so I, I would never go public with it. But it's already happening. In almost every country in the entire world, things are speeding up so fast. Well, the same things happen with those who are projecting this financial stuff. Global doom, you say? It'll never happen to America? How many said that five years ago? Kill your prophets. It's still going to happen. Number four, insomnia. You ever notice that if you are not at peace with where you are financially, you don't get good rest. You're up, you're down, you're sleeping. No, you sleep. Yes, I'm sleeping. You know, and it's just a constant unrest. Insomnia, if you look up the Greek, almost a hundred percent of this word is biblical. You see, the principle of resting in Christ is at the basis of the indwelling life of Christ. And if you do not have rest, it means only one of two things. One is that you don't have the indwelling life, you've been faking it. Or two, you've lost sight of it. And that's why we have worship songs. And that's why it completely blows my mind away to watch an indwelt believer, self-proclaimed indwelt believer, when there is obvious worship music in front of them and it doesn't even touch them. No hand moves, no feet move. They are paralyzed to let go and worship. That's the people I wonder about. Does it mean they're not indwelt? No. But it means that there's no release in them. And this is going to happen. Unrest. They're going to work themselves out of these problems and these challenges. And the, they, the, it's consuming to work their way out of it instead of accepting the fact it is reproof. That they're not resting. All of us fall into that. All of us do no matter what our age is. It says in Ecclesiastes 5.12, The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. 
But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. My line of reasoning by my flesh, to be perfectly blunt with you, is I could sleep well if I had a lot of money. But see, Jane and I also know, we talk about this quite often, because we know why God didn't make us wealthy. We have such an impulse to want to rescue people that God keeps us on the very shoestring that uh, the people we carry a burden for. For example, most of our givers have no clue that most of, many times our orphan donors, they don't give their money. And we take it out of our paycheck to meet that obligation for those orphans because there was a commitment made and a lot of the people who made that commitment are gone. And we have this decision to make, do we drop them? Or do we have to keep them going in encouragement? That's the reality that we have to embrace as indwell believers on how the system of God's economy is supposed to work. That's the burden we're supposed to be carrying. But for some reason, our flesh likes to go down the rich man's road. Unexpected losses, those who look for much, oftentimes end up with little. Have you ever noticed that? Boy, I sure have. You know, in a spiritual sense, if I look to someone for much, I'll tell you how the enemy taunts me. I've been in ministry my entire adult life. And I have been living on missionary support since 1980. And it's a lot easier doing that today than back in 1980, I can assure you. No. It's a hundred times worse. Because the closer I get to my final days, I'm going, I don't, I don't have an insurance package. Now, I'm worth more dead than alive, so I suffer with that. It'd be better if I was out of here if I was here. A lot of people suffer with that one. I don't have a retirement. And these are the things that really most Indoel Christians are, are going to be faced with. They don't have these rich man's benefits. It takes money to secure your end time security. Here's how the enemy taunts me. Not with the money issue of what's it going to be like if I leave. But what the enemy taunts me with is the investment. Have you really made a difference in people's lives? I am taunted with that. And the reason why is the, en- is the enemy actually has truth to back it. They forsake me and leave. They're nice up front and they smile up front and it's just a matter of time I go, they're gone. And they are. So now I go, this is my moment of pride. Am I better than Christ? That it was Mary and John and Mary's mother at the moment of death? Where were the other disciples? Gone. Running, hiding. They're afraid they're going to get in trouble with this guy. And Janie said to me this morning, Honey, it's just pure pride. 
That's what the enemy does to me. But here's what the Lord keeps reminding me. I understand his attack. And I'm telling you, understanding that attack is what delivers me. Because the Lord comes in and goes, these are lies. And the investment isn't according to what you can see or cannot see. The investment that the Lord makes sometimes is four generations away. Two generations away. One gen- I can't even see into that generation. I have the tendency to evaluate investment according to right now. That is a fleshly thing I was raised up to do. If you got money in your pocket, spend it for Pete's sake. That's what I heard. <laughs> Therefore, my spiritual dynamics is like-minded. Here and now. So unexpected losses, when those things begin to happen to me, well, when you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it to home, I blow it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. But when I look at the church and the system that we have put together for the Church of United States of America, that's what we do. This prophecy is literally what we have become. People come to these buildings, they take money out of their pocket, throw it into some little fancy knit basket going back, paying my dues, covering my deal, doing my percentage, maybe. And they don't understand the spiritual principle here is that God cares our church is desolate in truth. That's what we're desolate in. And that investment is not just in money. It is in life. But then they leave to the security of their own houses and lives. And then they come back in once a week and they do the same thing. And then they leave and then they come back in. It's almost like it is a glorified Catholic church. Hey, just pay your dues. Just get it covered. The priest will be okay with you. No, he won't. The great high priest will not be okay with that. Because you're prostituting Jesus Christ. You're treating the church like he's some kind of, or she is some kind of prostitute. We don't even understand why God used the term whore, supposedly the godly nation of God. We don't understand why God told Hosea to go marry a prostitute and have children by her. We don't understand that those children are the most wicked nations in this world today. Go do the research yourself. The children from Hosea and Gomer are the most wicked nations in the world today. Why would God do that? Why would Christ associate this, this unsaved group as being like whores? 
I'll tell you why. This is very simple. We pay off the church like she's some kind of prostitute. We've done our duty. We've done our business. We've covered our investment. We made our investment. So, so look, we pay for you. So keep your mouth shut. Don't bother me with how to keep this thing moving. And that's what we do in business. It's what we do in churches. It's what we do with people's lives is, is we don't stop and take the time to realize that our money is being used to shut people up. And what ends up happening in the long run is the church goes desolate. They say, no, it isn't. I mean, we got nice buildings. We got, you know, we have mailing campaigns that are going out to producing millions of dollars every week. And, and uh, this week, I just spent, it wasn't a long period of research, but I did spend an hour. I took the top 10, you can Google, top 10 Christian leaders, wrote their names down, and I Googled their homes. One of the leaders I found in her summer home, she had seven houses just on that property. And it went on and on and on. I, I was sick to my stomach. Why? Because they're taking care of the church? If I could have the money from one of the houses on her vacation property, I could take care of our ministry the rest of my life. And that's how God thinks. He, he, he doesn't overlook the billions of dollars that are being mishandled by the church. He doesn't overlook it. No matter how you convince yourself, he does not overlook these prosperity thinkers to spend their money on themselves. Or even their ministries. Number six, don't enjoy... What we have. Wealthy people don't enjoy what they have because they're always looking to more of what they don't have or an upgrade to what they do have. How easy is it for us to get caught up in upgrades? Do you think advertisements work? Yeah. Well, I'm counseling this gentleman who is a computer specialist and we were chatting in this very room last Tuesday, and he said, um, have you heard about Google's new thing? And I said, well, I'm honestly, I probably have. And he says there's an invisible image that they are placing on your computer. Every time you type something in Google, it places this invisible footprint on your screen. You can't see it. But it is gathering the data of everything you do. It used to be they would just gather the data of where you were shopping. Now they're gathering the data of all of your interest. And now they basically, the way he put it, is he says they basically own your operating system. And they'll use it to send you ads according to your desires. Okay, now I took that and I took it into the spiritual realm and I went, okay, this is kind of how Satan functions with our flesh, right? We have this invisible print called the flesh. We're really Christians. It's not who we are. 
But there's this invisible footprint in our lives called the flesh. And it contains all of our desires. Good, bad, indifferent. It contains them. And the enemy taps into that to draw us into things that are not who we are. And it kind of messed with my mind a little bit is that literally the world is physically being set up on the spiritual principle of the flesh versus the spirit. And that waging that war. And my computer right now is waging war against this footprint that I work so diligently to keep my computer clean. It's waging war constantly. So when I open up my emails, I get an ad that has something to do with what I really like to upgrade my machines or whatever the case may be. So being content with what it is that we have is one of our greatest challenges. Number seven is spiritually empty. Any soul who cares for the world and its riches more than replenishing his heart with word will choke off the word of God in his life and actually become unfruitful in all of his ways. Of course, that's according to Matthew thirteen twenty-two. So really, it's a sad state of a man is when uh, you or I are sharing the power of God's word with another person. The person is looking at us as if they didn't hear a word that we were saying. And immediately after this Holy Spirit moment, he brings up something completely worldly and definitely leaves us in the impression that they didn't even hear a word that we were saying. So to make it simple, it looks like this. We share the truth, and the person listening to us share the truth, and we're so excited about this profound truth, and you know this is a thing that I struggle with in preaching and teaching, and I look out at at this lullabied, half-asleep congregation, whether it's on the podcast or whether it's on, you know, in in a room literally, you know, that I'm in, and I see this complacency half-sleep body of Christ. And then when you ask them a very pinpointed question about what that life of Christ statement is doing or should have done in their lives, they feed you information about grandma or your neighbor, not about your life. See, it's like it just didn't quite make the full connection. Because there's definitely a spiritual emptiness between that truth and that person's life. Well, what the Lord keeps telling me is you evaluate your own life first. That's where we'll start. Then we do have to evaluate why isn't the connection made complete. Because as soon as a person gets hit with the truth, there is transformation. There's no other way to look at it. It will set you free. Number eight, family pressure. He that is greedy for more gain, money, influence, or power brings hardship and trouble upon one's household. That's right out of Proverbs fifteen twenty-seven. Families are the first to go when a greedy heart demands to be filled. Women react to these heads of home by forsaking the home for that special someone who will listen to them. And I'm going to speak the truth on something, and it's 
Well, I'm sure I'm going to get a few replies on it. Because it's so contrary to what's going to happen to our nation in this next election. Now, I'm about to make a prophetic statement, and I'm not saying that I'm the type of prophet that believes in dates and times and hours, and because I'm not. But I am going to make this statement. And, I'm, and it's not to prove whether it is right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just that I'm telling you, I believe this is of God. That the nation is about to make a serious change. The entire church in America is going to make this serious change with the world. Anyone who's read the book of Revelation knows that the, the world religion is going to be a whore. I'm going to say it again. The world religion is going to be a whore. They will pay her to be neutral. The entire world will pay her to be neutral. Global. Universal. Relaxed. About strong guidelines and preachers and teachers in fact be designed and paid to resist them. In order for this whore to be accepted by the entire world there has to be a major, major shift in the thinking of women. Back in the 1920s through the 40s, it was putting women to work. That is not going to be the argument in this next election. That's done. That's over. There are more successful women in the corporate world than there are men. The proof that women make better leaders and politicians and and they're they're more honest with money and they're more that's that that test is gone. It's over. They won. Men are more prone to immorality, to lying, to cheating. But see, all those have to relate to the garden again. That clever edge of women, that advancing edge of women, that whole thing is from the garden. We were warned about this. And the irresponsibility of man be kind of functioning like, duh, and just being moved wherever his head is turned, is from the garden. We were warned about this. And I'm telling you today that the entire world is about to shift. And every man will serve a woman. And the headship of manhood and how God functions has to be removed completely from the world before this can happen. So having our next president a woman is nothing compared to having the person who will head up every religion in the entire world. Not only be a woman, but be a great whore who can be bought and then told what to say. But see, it doesn't remain there. Even though we're about to see 20 years of the entire world run by women, 
It's not going to stop there. Someone please tell me what the book of Revelation says is going to happen to this whore with these ten kings who are male. Doesn't say nine kings and one queen. They're kings. Satan is not a female, no matter what pictures people come out with. He is a male. But he has this unbelievable way of presenting himself as a transvestite. Little male, little female, doesn't make any difference. Oh, it'll make all the difference in the world when he decides to come out of his closet. The kings, the ten kings cut her up into pieces and they eat her. That's right out of the book of Revelation. They become so disgusted with what she's done to this world, they cut her up into tiny little pieces and eat her flesh. And these are wicked kings. These are not godly kings. Here's the point. When all is said and done, when the world is through their little final movements, the enemy is going to come out of his closet and say, I'm all male, you will obey me, you will worship me, you will get on your knees and confess that I'm God, you will, you will, you will, and if you don't, I am going to kill you slowly. He won't care about women. He won't care about women's rights. He won't care about religious rights because he just ate that whore. He won't care. He will care about one simple thing and that is that the whole entire world, whoever is on this world at that moment gets on their knees and says, you truly are God. So have your movements. And they're going to end up in the same place every single time. Put your little women to work. Have them literally desolate the children at home, the church. Go! Desolate your children. So that they grow up and be sucked into a movement that they cannot stand on their own and to live the true principles of God at all costs. And what will happen, I'm telling you, is the men will continue to sleep their way through this warning. But the women are alert. The women are alert. I've done statistics on our listeners. I've done statistics on our email people, and they're mostly women. Very few men are desiring the truth, because they're scared to face the face of a woman. They're afraid to say, I need you to stay home and not desolate our children. But see, the, the, the way this works is that when they're led outside the home, Satan can introduce them other principles that are in the world. So when a lady comes and, and, and campaigns to be president, the, the body of Christ are going, she sounds like she'd be a great candidate. R really? 
She sounds like she would just be awesome. Last time we were voting for which Antichrist should we vote for, some of you know how much trouble I got into with that article. And this time it's going to be what woman should we vote for? None. None. You, you see what I mean? Because it does not match the principles of God. So yes, you can send the emails. It's Dr. Finney at IOMAmerica.org or you can text me at 602-292-2982 because this is a critical matter. We have some voting coming up again. And unless you understand the basic principles of male, female, mommy, daddy, children, generational blessings, unless you hang on to the basics, there's no way that you will survive this family pressure. Number nine. Money strikes back. For some reason, money has a funny way of paying for more than the bills. If we have too little of it, it will stress us to the point of physical exhaustion and finding ways to get it. And if we have too much of it, we stress over worry about how we're going to keep it. Ecclesiastes 5.13 says, There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. Translating out accurately, there is a grievous act of Satan which I have seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded, put in the bosom by the owner until it destroys him. That's why we're to give it away right away. But that's a hard thing for us to understand. So we hang on to it and hoard it. Save it, so to speak. Number 10, which is our last one. Oftentimes legal problems develop. Have you ever met someone who has money, who strives tirelessly or strives tirelessly to get it, who doesn't have legal problems? Because it's in the principle number nine, and that is, it's in trying to, to keep it. And, and what do I got to do legally to preserve it and invest it and keep it cushioned? And, oh, that company's going bad, so I got to move my money over here. And so now, it's a, and it's just this constant management. It's a fruitless endeavor. God wants us to receive money and to be prosperous on occasions. Abase and abound, as Paul said, so that we can care for the church so it doesn't go desolate. And that is not putting in new gold-plated doorways around your entry. It's caring for the widows and caring for the orphans. Here's our identity statement for today. Each of us needs to stand on the shores of reality, face the pain, oh, I hate that one, and accept the discipline of the Lord. People tend to make the word reprove more than what it is. Reprove, if you put a dash between the E and the P, reprove from the Hebrew is a simple word picture which is re-proof. Revisiting the proof of truth until it is embraced. That is the goal 
That is certainly the objective and purpose of God allowing the ten most common signs of reproof. It is not to hurt us. It is to bring us to reproving. God knows that we are we are wavering, being tossed by the waves because we need reproof of what he says he really does mean. Thank you, online listeners, for listening today. We're going to turn the podcast off so that we can go to our local questioning and answering. But if you do have a question that needs an answer, I would certainly be willing to dialogue with you through the scriptures to come up with an answer for you. Please log on to the website address that's coming up next. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.